0: Apathy to Jesus is our greatest danger and our greatest enemy this time of year. The people of Israel, the time of the events of Luke 1 and Luke 2, the people of Israel had largely grown completely apathetic to the Messiah. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to his people. And that promise of his to send a savior king had all but been forgotten. That there's a sense in which the people of Israel had stopped waiting and stopped hoping for the Messiah to come. And we're prone to be just like them. The first advent of Jesus, it was so long ago. It's easy for us to forget. The second advent of Jesus, it just feels so far away in the future that it's easy for us to lose hope. So here's what I want us to do over the next four weeks. I want us just to take a journey. Take a journey back to the days when the in of God's glory and grace was imminent. Let's go back to the days when God's silence was broken, when God's Messiah arrived, and let's see how very ordinary people responded to this news and see what we can learn. We begin this morning with Mary, the mother of Jesus. We begin with a song that she sang. It's become known as the Magnificat. We need to make three observations about Mary from Luke 1. If you have a notes page, you have have just a little structure there of where we're going to be going. We need to see what Mary heard. We need to see what Mary did. And then we need to see what Mary knew. Before we do that, let's look at Luke 1, 46 through 56. Hear the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her, her being Elizabeth, about three months, and returned to her home. Um, let's begin with what Mary heard. Uh, this song of praise is a response to a number of things. Um, Mary heard the news that Jesus was to be born in two ways, from two sources. And it eventually led to this this song of praise. She first hears the news from the angel Gabriel. and 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 then she she hears some news from her cousin. Elizabeth. She hears two different things, uh, essentially about the same thing, that she will carry the Messiah. Uh, I want us to look at each of those encounters. Let's consider what Mary heard from the angel, from Gabriel. Turn back to verse 26. Verse 26 in Luke 1. And we just need to look at this. this is, these are some of the, the most... Holy words in all of Scripture. I tremble even as as I read them. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Departed from her. Listen, Mary is an ordinary teenage, most likely teenage girl. She's committed to to marry a man named Joseph, a man whose primary significance is found in his family lineage, that he's from the line of King David. Uh, We really don't know that much about Mary. Um, What we do know is that she wasn't a prominent figure in her community, she didn't carry any special status in the eyes of the world. And yet, the the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and he tells her a few things. What, what did Mary hear? Well, first, she heard that she is favored by God and that God is with her. And it's interesting to me, as soon as she hears that, she's startled. She, she She's startled by this news. She's trying to discern what type of greeting this is. I mean, she's startled, first of all, because, well, she's talking to an angel. I don't know if any of you have ever talked to an angel. I never have. I can't imagine what that experience would be like. But, I mean... At minimum, I think I would have some questions. I, I would be a little startled myself. Um, but she was also startled because she wasn't the type of person that stuff like this happened to. She, she didn't expect to garner the attention of God in this way. She's not a prophet. She's not a priest. And she's not a king. And those are the types of folks who receive these types of messages or, or meetings from the Lord. So she's a little startled and she doesn't know what's going on. and She wants to try to discern what's happening. Well, the angel tells her. It doesn't help with her bewilderment. Next, Mary hears that she will conceive a son. And we just gloss over it so quickly. We just read, of course, yes, of course, the Virgin Mary. Yes, of course, the Virgin Mary. There's no, of course, with this at all. We need to marvel at this with Mary. She hears that she's going to conceive a son. She's bewildered. And after all of this, I love how, I love how it unfolds says, you will conceive a son. And then there's all this description of what he will be like. you will call him Jesus. He's going to reign on David's throne. He's the Messiah. His kingdom's never going to end. All these awesome things. And Mary's first question is, how am I going to conceive a son? Like, let alone who he is. We'll get to that in a minute. How am I going to conceive a son? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Pretty reasonable question. And Gabriel responds with an equally bewildering answer. This child will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, just was just concerned about how it was going to happen, and now that you've told me it's of the Holy Spirit, I'm good. No, it's, it's mysterious. It's miraculous. In some mysterious, in some miraculous way, the Holy Spirit, Gabriel says, will overshadow Mary so that she will become pregnant even though... She was a virgin. This is is at the core of, of our faith. This is an essential that we believe. Then, if that wasn't startling enough, Mary hears who her miraculous son will be. He will be the Messiah. The son conceived in her womb will be called the son of the Most High. He will reign on David's throne. His kingdom will never end. Mary's son is the long-awaited, promised Messiah. The one in whom all of Israel's hope is found. The one who would come to fully and forever rescue God's people from their enemies and reconcile them to himself will soon be developing in her womb. Mary hears the news that the Messiah is coming. Salvation is drawing near And that in some mysterious way, she will carry this Savior, nurture this Savior, raise up this Savior. And then the last thing that she hears, the last thing that Gabriel says to her, serves as both a reminder and an encouragement. He says, remember your your cousin Elizabeth? She, She also has conceived a son. This once barren woman is six months pregnant. Remember, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. You see, Mary is completely overwhelmed by the news that Gabriel brought. I mean, how could anyone, we just read it so quickly, how could anyone process what Mary just heard? God has found favor with you, and so you, a virgin, will conceive and bear a son who will be the Messiah of God's people. That's why I find it astonishing, just, just so interesting that Gabriel pointed Mary to Elizabeth. It's almost like he can can tell that Mary is going to need support. She's going to need help in processing this, in in coming to terms with it, to to understand what's going on. Go to Elizabeth. It's not an actual command from the angel, but, but it's an encouragement. Elizabeth is in a similar situation. She also is experiencing the mysterious and miraculous power of God. And so then Mary does. She goes to Elizabeth. Look with me at verse 39. Luke 1, 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. She, she does visit Elizabeth. So she goes to her in haste. She, she, need, she needs help processing this. Without a word being spoken, the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth in such a way that both she and her unborn child, John the Baptist, leap for joy. And in what Elizabeth said to her, this is what's interesting about it. After these words from Elizabeth, Mary erupts in song. She she, she worships immediately following what she said. It's almost as if it's all starting to sink in for her. She's granted further understanding. Maybe just further wonder at what God was doing. Elizabeth asked this question. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We hear with Mary that the child she carries is not merely Israel's Messiah, a savior king who has come to rescue them from their enemies. We hear from Elizabeth that the unborn baby in Mary's womb is God himself. It's God. Mary is the mother of Elizabeth's Lord. She is the mother of the God-man From Elizabeth, we hear that Jesus is both God and human. This is the wonder, the mystery of the incarnation of the Christmas season. And Elizabeth's astonishment, she's astonished. It reminds me of this meditation from Augustine. When when he thought about the incarnation, this was his meditation on it. He said, man's maker was made man. That he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger. The fountain thirst. The light sleep. The way be tired on its journey. That the truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. This is the astonishing, unbelievable news that Mary heard, that she is favored with God, that she, a virgin, will conceive and bear a son, that that son's name will be Jesus, and that he will be the rescuer, the Messiah, the Savior of God's people, and that he is god in the flesh that's a lot to hear by the way how did she respond what did mary do once she had a decent grasp on what was happening she responded in two ways first she believed second she worshiped mary believed And, you know, I find this response from Mary, her her faith, her belief, to be the most amazing of them all. And so did Elizabeth. We're told that in response to the angel's impossible-to-believe message, especially for a young girl in in Israel at this time, Mary simply said, behold, (laughs) I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There's no way she comprehended everything that the angel told her. There's no way she understood all of that. But despite her lack of understanding, Mary believed that this angel was from God. And she believed what the angel said was true. And if the message was from God, that was enough for her. She humbly received this word from the Lord with an obedient heart. Elizabeth marveled at Mary's faith. When she said, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The story, again, it unfolds so quickly. It's easy to miss the significance of Mary's faith in obedience. And I feel like as Protestants, we try to belittle Mary as much as possible. I don't know why that's our goal every year is to say what Mary isn't you know, over and over again. When, when you take that approach, you miss what she is. A wonderful example of faith in a God who favored her and worked on her behalf and was gracious to her. Mary is a teenage girl engaged to be married who's just been told that she will soon become pregnant even though she was a virgin. Even if she could wrap her head around that miracle, Just consider the social implications that were about to come her way. Who's going to believe her? There's no guarantee at this point in the story in Luke's gospel that Joseph is going to believe her. I mean, one day she just shows up pregnant in front of her fiancé and her family and her friends and in the community. And they're just supposed to believe her when she says, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. The Holy Spirit overshadowed me, and I am pregnant with the Messiah. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Who would believe that? And many would not. Many would not. Imagine the social implications. She couldn't prove that. She doesn't have the receipts from the angel's visit. And in the eyes of many, she's not going to be vindicated for another 30 years. Mary's faith is simple, but it's also costly. She's a wonderful example to us of humble faith. Mary believed the word from Gabriel because she knew it was from the Lord. Not because she understood. Not because she was completely free from doubt and fear. And not without consequence or cost. She believed the unbelievable because she trusted the source of the message. She trusted God. Well, there's another way she responds. She worshiped. Because she believed, because she believed this word from the Lord was true, she's overcome with worship. She hears the news, she'll carry the Messiah. She she gets the further confirmation from Elizabeth, who who indicates that this this is more than just just a, a, a faithful teacher that you're carrying. This is God in the flesh. And Mary bursts into this song of praise. Her worship is comprised of two parts. Glory and joy. In fact, all of our worship can be boiled down to that. Glory and joy. Look at verses 46 and 47. You'll see what I'm talking about. So she begins this, this praise. It says, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, this isn't Mary's attempt to try to divide, you know, have a soul and a spirit. This is her way of saying, all of me, every single part of my being magnifies the Lord, and every single part of my being rejoices in him. This is worship. Worship is the natural response to the news of the birth of Jesus for a person who trusts God. Mary cannot help herself. Her heart leaps for joy in God. Her soul magnifies or glorifies God. And and despite the fact that she is the one who is called favored and blessed, her focus is not on herself at all. Her focus is entirely on God. She doesn't take a step back and say, you know what, I must be pretty awesome. If anybody had an opportunity for self-glorification, it would be Mary in this moment. Remember you got an angel, you have the Lord himself who's saying she's favored and she's blessed, and then you have Elizabeth who calls her blessed like a hundred times in this little span. And Mary could just say, I mean, I guess you're right. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty great. I mean, who, he, didn't choose, he didn't choose anyone else. You know, he chose me, I'm special. No, that's, that's not the posture that her heart takes. Her joy is a God-centered joy. Her song here, magnifying the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite catechisms. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, it begins with the first question. I love it, it's one of my favorites. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The, the, the ultimate purpose of, of a person is to do two things, glorify God and enjoy God. That's what Mary's doing. She magnifies the Lord. She glorifies him. And then she rejoices in it. She finds joy in the God that she's glorifying. Mary shows us here that the deepest joy of our hearts is linked to whatever it is that we are glorifying. Whatever you find supreme pleasure in, supreme joy and supreme satisfaction in, that is the thing that you are glorifying more than anything else. There's a link between the two. John, Piper, If you're interested more, John Piper wrote a whole book about it. It's called Desiring God. Um, but it's important to see here. When we hear that Jesus has come to us, that the Messiah has arrived, that God himself is among us. Our hearts should be moved to magnify the Lord in joy. Now here's what that looks like. Uh, Piper is so helpful in this. That's one of my favorite illustrations that he's ever given. This is what John Piper says about it. Magnify has two distinct meanings. In relation to God, one is worship. And one is wickedness. You can magnify like a telescope or you can magnify like a microscope. When you magnify like a microscope, you make something tiny look bigger than it is. Piper says a dust mite can look like a monster. Pretending to magnify God like that, Piper says, is wickedness. But when you magnify like a telescope, you make something unimaginably great look like what it really is. He gives the example of pinprick galaxies in the sky are revealed for the billion star giants that they are. Magnifying God like that, Piper says, is worship. This is what Mary's doing. She's involved in this, what Piper might call, telescopic worship. She has come to see what we all must see. That the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ points to the greatness and glory of God in a way unlike anything else. In the midst of of a world and in in the midst of, of a culture that belittles God and in the midst of a people who often forget him. Mary along with us we must sing out these praises. To help us see God for who he truly is. The coming of Jesus reveals God as he is. He is both mighty and merciful. He is both great and good. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, the Messiah come to save us, we see the glory of God. This Advent season would be a wonderful, wonderful time for you to reflect on what you are magnifying. What are you magnifying in your heart? Is your heart magnifying like a microscope or is it magnifying like a telescope? Are you involved in Mary's telescopic worship of God or are you involved in microscopic worship of idols? Some things in your life may seem huge right now. They could be good things or they could be bad things. And they're huge right now in your heart and in your mind Not because they actually are, but because you have magnified them. God may seem small in your life. Not because he actually is, but because you are failing to magnify him to see his true greatness. So this Advent season, think of those things that take up the most real estate in your mind. What is the source of worry? What moves the affections of your heart unlike anything else? And then take a step back from it. Take a step back from the lens and see if you're looking at it through the lens of a microscope or the lens of a telescope. See, hearing that the Messiah had arrived led Mary to believe and it led her to worship, to magnify, to rejoice in the Lord. Worship should mark our days this Advent and Christmas season. And I don't even necessarily mean musical worship. You really don't have to have Christmas carols blasting all day, every day. I know. For some of y'all, I'm way too late, and I would have no chance of convincing you otherwise. Our house, from sunup to sundown, is just Christmas carols, which, well, it's okay. It's better than Taylor Swift. Um, we've, we've kind of whew, moved, in, moved into the Christmas season, so that's what I get to hear a lot of now. Um, but that's not really what I mean by worship. What we must do is see God for who he is, and then take hold of him in our hearts. We need to see his greatness in the coming of Jesus, and have our hearts moved to joy. That's what Mary did. She believed and she worshiped. One more thing I want to show you. I want to show you what Mary knew. What Mary knew. I'm not talking about the song, okay? I promise. I'm not doing it. Mary, did you know? I know. If you're unfamiliar, big controversy, a um, little bit, a little bit in our child. Char- I know some of y'all, some of y'all already. You've already been looking out for that song. It's on your radar. As soon as you see it, Facebook post. You're ready. I know you, I know you are. Um, we could debate it. We could talk about it. At see me after church. We'll pretend to come down and pray, and we'll talk about the song. Uh, Mary, did you know? We'll, we'll get into it. Um, Mary did know some things, though, and what she knew is significant. What did Mary know? I want to show you two things. Mary knew that with the coming of Jesus, that God saw her. And she knew that God saved her. These two are significant, and they're separate from each other. First, Mary knew that God saw her. Um, At the coming of Jesus... Mary, in her song, indicates that God had looked on the humble estate of his servant. Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. God looked. He gazed upon Mary. He saw her. Now, Mary does not say... Of course he did. Look how faithful I am. Look how holy I am or look how perfect I am. No, God looked upon her humble estate, not as a reward for righteousness. He looked on her humble estate with mercy. All generations will call me blessed, she says. Not because Mary thinks she's worthy of worship. Why? This is what she says, because he who is mighty has done great things for me. God has done it, not Mary, in Mary's own words. The coming of Jesus, again, we see here, is not a gift of reward for the righteous. It is a gift of grace for the unrighteous. Mary says his mercy, not his reward, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So God's gaze upon Mary was a gracious gaze. But I want you to think about, for just a second, the significance of Mary's joy, her excitement, her happiness, in God looking on her humble estate. Now, for some of you, you're like, absolutely, I love attention. So maybe Mary just loved attention, and I really like it. I really like attention I want people to look at me. I like it when people look at me. And maybe that's how you relate for, for most of us, or maybe others of us, at least me. Maybe I'm projecting. I don't like that. I, I don't like that at all. I remember as a kid going to Kentucky basketball games um, and, you know, during timeouts and stuff, the camera would sort of like go around the stadium and you'd get to see different people. And I used to always want to be on the screen. I wanted to as a kid, you know, going to those games. I'd stand up and I'm like waving my arms. If the camera ever had fallen on I have no idea what I would have done. I would have frozen up and probably done something really embarrassing. But as I got older, I dreaded those moments. I mean, I dreaded it. I would try to time out a bathroom break anytime there was a timeout as best I could. I don't want to be in the room because I don't want to be on the screen so that everybody sees me. I, most of us sort of operate that way. We don't want all that attention. Why does Mary want this attention from God? Well, let me ask you a different question Do you relish the idea? Of God looking at your humble estate. Do you relish the idea of your life and all its weakness, in all of its sin, in all of its brokenness falling under the gaze of God? Some of us can barely stand to look at ourselves. Our humble estate is a little too humiliating. Our sin, our shame doesn't make us want to run to the gaze of God. It makes us want to do what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When they became aware of their humble estate in the presence of a holy God, what did they do? They ran and they hid because they were naked and they were ashamed Listen, with the coming of Jesus, Mary comes under the all-knowing gaze of God, and she doesn't run. She doesn't run. She doesn't hide. She follows the angel's instruction, do not be afraid. In the coming of Jesus, the mighty one has done great things for her. With the coming of Jesus, Mary has been seen and she has been known and Mary is confident that at the same time she has been welcomed and loved. God's gaze is upon her and yet she is favored. And instead of God's gaze causing her shame, it fills her heart with joy. And you see what this means. The same reality is open to all of us. Because of Jesus, it is possible for shameful sinners to stop running and stop hiding from God. We don't have to do that. We don't have to run from him. We don't have to hide from him. Jesus has come to cover us in his righteousness. He has come to take away our shame. He has come to be stripped and ridiculed and beaten He has come to bear the curse that we deserved as he was hanged on a tree. Because of the coming of Jesus, all of us can stand in the sight of God and receive welcome, not exile. We can stand in the sight of God and receive pardon, not punishment. We can stand in the sight of God and be happy that he sees and knows us. Not because of our own righteousness, but because the mighty one has done great things for us in this Messiah, in Christ. God has looked upon us in our humble estate in Jesus Christ. He sees us, he knows us, and he does not turn away. He turns toward us in mercy and in grace. So Mary knew that God saw her graciously. And finally, Mary knew Salvation was at hand. This isn't just a personal thing between Mary and the Lord. You see, see Mary was very impressively well-versed in the Torah and in the prophets and in the writings. In, in the Magnificat, she knows that the news of the Messiah's birth signaled the fulfillment of the most precious and ancient promise the people of Israel had. That Abraham's offspring was now here. Jump down to verses fifty-four and fifty-five. This is, this is what she says: He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary is she's remembering. She she has this epiphany that this first Christmas, it, it's the fulfillment of an ancient promise. The promise that at that time was 2,000 years old, and our time is 4,000 years old. The promise that was made to Abraham, that in his offspring, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Jesus is the child of Abraham. The one to whom the promise pointed, in whom all blessing would come to the nations. And Mary knew that with the birth of Jesus came the keeping of that ancient promise. Now back up to verse 50 with that, with that reality in mind. The, the promise given to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus. Back in verse 50, this is what we read. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary recognizes... That more is at stake in the coming of her child than God's favor and mercy to her alone. No, she says his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength of his arm. And then all these blessings unfold. Mary is describing the kind of reign her child will have as king of an eternal kingdom. She describes the implications of the Messiah's arrival, the blessings of his presence. She knows that her unborn child will usher in an age of shalom, peace that God's people had longed for, a day in which the proud are humbled and the humble exalted, a day in which the hungry are fed, a day in which material wealth and social status count for nothing because living water is poured out without cost. Mary knew That with the coming of Jesus, salvation has dawned for all people. And what's most interesting about her description of these future realities is that they're all stated in the past tense. You notice that? He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. These are, these are past tense realities. Now it's possible that Mary is simply pointing back to God's previous faithfulness throughout the generations of Israel to highlight his continued faithfulness in sending the Messiah. That's, that's definitely possible. Uh, maybe even more likely. But much of what he says won't be fully realized until all things are consummated at the return of Christ. Some of those blessings will only be fully experienced in the new earth. And yet all of them are stated as if they had already happened. There's another example of this in Romans 8. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about those who are justified, those who are justified are also glorified. If you trust in Jesus today and you're sitting in this room, you are justified. Are you glorified yet? No, not yet. Paul says you can speak of yourself as being glorified. Why? Because it's just as certain as your justification. Your future is just as certain as what has happened to you. And this is, this is what is being communicated here in this wonderful song from Mary. She uses language found in Genesis and Deuteronomy, First and 2 Samuel, Psalms, multiple prophets, to show that her unborn child is the fulfillment of every messianic hope. She sings about these promises as if they are already fulfilled. The poor are fed, the proud condemned, the humble exalted, all in the past tense because now that Jesus has come, the future is as certain as the past. They're so certain to happen. We can speak of them as if they already have. Mary takes us through an exercise of hope. This is what it looks like to hope in God. As important as it is to look back and meditate on the wonder of the incarnation, it is just as important for us to look forward to the future and final fulfillment of every blessing that Jesus' arrival has accomplished. His life is hard, and we need (laughs) hope to keep going. We live between the two Advents, a land of deep darkness, full of sin and evil, sorrow and suffering. Mary rejoiced at the news of Jesus' coming because in him, and in him alone, we find an anchor of hope to hold us in this world of darkness and chaos. We can press on. No matter how difficult this time of year may be for you, you can press on in strength, and you can genuinely, truly hope For tomorrow, because Jesus was born to save you. Mary knew it. She heard the news. She responded with praise. And she knew that he had come to save them. So let's meditate on the wonder of Christmas this year like never before. Let's behold the wonder that the baby born in Bethlehem is the long-awaited Messiah. The Savior of sinners. Who ushers in a kingdom of joy and peace of righteousness and justice, of which there will be no end. In Jesus, you are seen and loved. In Jesus, you are saved from past sin, and you are saved for future glory. In Jesus, the curse of sin is undone. In Jesus, all things are made new. In Jesus, all nations will be blessed. In Jesus, we can taste the joy that filled his mother's heart. In him, we can begin at last to fulfill the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We can respond like Mary and sing her song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Let's be